Hello and welcome back to Kyle's Internal Monologue. In this episode, we're going to be covering the Babylon 5 Season 4 episode, Lines of Communication. So this episode, uh, once again, that three-pronged uh, situation continuing the plots as per last episode. Um, we, we got quite a few interesting tidbits here. Um, I'll go ahead and talk about the, uh, the Sheridan and Earth stuff first. Earth is continuing their war of propaganda and their economic war against Babylon 5. And the way they have positioned it, much like we saw in Illusion of Truth, is their Caradian narrative. And the narrative is, Sheridan isn't a bad guy, he's just been misled by his Membari lover and other alien influences. Uh, there is a particular reason they're doing this. Um, but one of the foremost stuff is that they want to feed on that xenophobia that they have bred in the Earth populace in Season 1. Now, uh, the, the situation here is that it, it, it's also for the purpose of when they inevitably, you know, attack. Because as we know... Um, they're, they're trying to pull the rug from out underneath Sheridan before they go out on a full-out offensive. If they just went up and straight attacked, uh, it would look like a, an aggressive move, hostilities, um, rather than what they're, uh, twisting the narrative, twisting the truth to be, which is that it's a rescue mission to rescue Sheridan and all the other humans from that vile alien influence. Um... It is, it's, it's actually quite a clever way to change the narrative around to uh, f for your own benefit. Um, we've seen a lot of this uh, throughout history of basically painting a target on a particular group or particular person's back and creating an us versus them situation. Um, and therefore it makes anybody that is... Uh, involved with that person that we've painted the target back on uh, the target on their back but um is is someone that uh we can paint it that they have been misled misguided manipulated into doing this that they, they didn't want to do it of their own volition and sheridan um is obsessing over this um it, 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 this is actually a point uh, brought up at the very end of the episode, a uh, conversation between him and Dylan, that there's a weight of responsibility placed on their shoulders after the Shadow War. You know, destroying is easy. You know, um, you know, burning down uh, the, the current status quo is the easy thing to do. The creating a new status quo, a better, freer, kinder status quo from the ashes of the old world is the hard bit. And there is this weight on their shoulders of they are, you know, the remnants of the Vorlons and the Shadows, and they have to pick up the mess that these two uh, races uh, in their mind games, in their chess game of the galaxy, made. Um, and 
it's going to be hard. It's going to be incredibly difficult. And it's going to take an incredibly long amount of time. Uh, but it is their burden to bear. Uh, and he correctly uh, deduces that what they need to do is they need to get the truth on their side. Um, if Clark and his regime are going to blast propaganda 24-7 about them, then it seems, you know, uh, perfectly reasonable to do the exact same against Earth. Um, now the question is, who do you put as the face of that? How do you get past the jammers uh, that, that Earth has uh, instituted around B5? Uh, and then the, the answer of the face of it is Ivanova. She was, uh, she, she was the person going on, you know, warning people about, uh, the Vorlons and Shadow stuff during, during the height of that war. People trust her. They see her as a leader. And I, I, I like her comment of, I'd rather have a face people fear. A very Ivanova type of thinking. And, but the truth is the matter is she has both. She has a face that tells you that if you are, you know, proper and you're good and you're on her side she'll treat you with the utmost respect and she is to be trusted with your life if you go against her or you disobey her there's going to be hell to pay uh and so she's kind of the perfect front woman to put uh to put a face on this voice of resistance now the question is how exactly do they start broadcasting this stuff it's it's easy to say you're going to do this, but putting an action in motion is the difficult part. Uh, now, the uh, Franklin uh, and Marcus stuff. So, the Mars Resistance um, has a series of terror cells. Um, you know, they're set up like a terrorist organization, but, you know, number one, uh, the current person in charge there, what she wants is a more clean... Um, resistance movement of rebellion of sorts, where they don't they, they don't act like terrorists. They only target military targets. They don't uh, they don't uh, you know target randomly and hurt civilians. But the Mars resistance is used to that because they are desperate enough. Um, when when you have someone backed against the corner, uh, they can uh, they, they will protest and protest and protest. Uh, but eventually they're going to have to, you know, if they're not being listened to, they're going to have to get someone's attention. Uh, and one of the many ways to do that is violence. Violence always guarantees that you, oh, what you're saying will be heard. Whether it's interpreted correctly is another question. And that's, and that's exactly Franklin's point. Is, uh, and Marcus's point as well, is that they are, by bombing this hotel and killing 10 civilians yes they they have let people know that they exist they've let people know that they're fighting for a free mars but what they've also said is that everybody's expendable in the name of cause uh you are sending the wrong message you're making yourselves look exactly like the monsters that the propaganda machine wants to paint you as you're reinforcing that narrative You've got to learn the difference between an honest, proper resistance movement and a terrorist organization. These are two very distinct things. Uh, and sometimes the lines between them are incredibly blurred, like they are here. But the difference is important to note. 
Um, and, and I like how Franklin and Marcus sort of improvise. You know, there's no way they can get a hold of Sheridan, but what they do is they preach sort of his ideals to them and promise things that he hasn't necessarily promised, but what they're trying to do is, number one, is clearly the most sympathetic towards understanding Sheridan and his resistance movement. So if they can get... If they can paint a narrative where she is to be trusted and thus Sheridan is to be trusted by proxy, uh, they have another arm of the resistance in their pocket. Um, and, and Marcus, you know, clearly paints uh, a, a picture of what they need to be thinking of. Uh, is, you know, they are... They're acting like terrorists and they want to overthrow the Earth government and be free, which is fine. Like he said, it's fair enough. He doesn't really care either way. But that is going to be something that they're going to have to deal with in official channels. Right now, the biggest threat to their freedom is also the threat to Earth's freedom. So right now, they need to band together and fight together and then solve their own personal issues. And of course, Mars, a lot of the Mars resistance pulls that stupid crap that I hate so much, which is you haven't suffered like we have, you know, of uh, the, the, you know, we, we, we have, we've sat here and died and, and, and been beaten and crushed under the heel of earth for years. And Sheridan only declared independence and went on a resistance movement after a fleet of ships was sent his way. You know, he doesn't know the pain. He doesn't know the strife, which is complete and utter bullshit it's the it's the classic victimized um mentality they so desperately want to be the underdog yes they are mistreated yes uh they deserve their freedom yes what has been uh, been happening to them is horrible and immoral but that doesn't mean other people haven't suffered just as much as they have you know, and it, it, they so desperately want to be seen as sympathetic that they will basically, you know, bend over backwards to twist the narrative to say, hey, we're oppressed, we're, you know, we're the underdog, fight for us, you know, kind of thing. But what they're doing by, you know, doing this sort of victimized uh, sort of narrative and then treating themselves like a terrorist cell by bombing civilian targets, they're opening themselves up to two very horrible situations. The first one is opportunists. Any person could enter the Mars resistance, and if they had enough clout, enough charisma to get into the upper echelons of, the, of a particular terrorist cell, they could use these highly... Um, volatile and desperate people who are going to uh, whose emotions are running high and therefore are going to be easily maneuvered and manipulated into doing what you want to to, to be an opportunist and grab power um, that that is exactly what what can and has happened in history uh, and just to pull an example of like a recent thing that isn't real, but you know it's a fictional thing, is uh, uh, in the Expanse TV series and book series. Look at this character Marco Ignaros, you know, a character who uses the 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 the, the victim uh, and oppressed narrative of the Belters to feed his own narcissism. 
And then you have the idealistic extremists who will also take advantage of it. Uh, whereas instead of being opportunists trying to go for their own personal gain, you now have, you, 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 you by, you know, continuing this narrative and acting like a terrorist cell, you open the doors up for extremism and radicalization. Uh, and these people aren't just desperate. They are woefully, um, they, they are woefully unprepared for the real world. They see the world in a particular way, in an idealistic way, and believe that the only way to achieve their goals is through said violence. And oftentimes that violence is, is discriminatory. It is very us versus them. It's very tribal. Um, it, it is one of the worst things you can see. You know, uh, a radical extremists exist all throughout history, and they often, you will often see, you'll notice a, a, a distinct sort of uh, parallel here, is that often whatever, whatever movement was going on seemed right and fair and good and just, and they had a point, but then someone slowly creeped up to the upper echelons, and this person was extremely radical, and had very extremist views, and thus, because he was he or she was so well respected, everyone else, you know, down the line became radicalized, and thus the movement got uh, diluted and changed and corrupted from something that is true and just and fair and has a point to it to nothing but pure vitriol, anger and you know violence and death they they no longer have the point they destroy their own narrative their own point by continuing that cycles of violence you know the oppressed become the oppressors the bully you know the bullied becomes the bully um and uh i like how franklin um you know is is resistant to uh coming on to number one's advances towards him you know, she's in a situation where, you know, she, she you know, no one really knows her name. She's not supposed to give their names, you know, and either no basis. She's at a point where she's so isolated, she desperately needs human contact. And Franklin was there at one point, you know, everything kept failing. Uh, and, and he and he became such a workaholic and lost his sense of self that he became addicted to stims. And... As he talked about when he recovered, you know, I, I was never a good soldier, you know, I was, uh, you know, a never, uh, never good prospect for marriage or kids, you know, every relationship he's ever had has failed and failed miserably, uh, and he's been burned one too many times, so he's just not trying anymore, uh, and it takes the words of Marcus to go, no, give it a shot, you know, you never know how much longer you got to live on this world, Give it one more go, you know. Um, now the uh, Delin stuff. So the Drac. Uh, this is the the first real introduction of the Drac, um, and their weird sort of out of phase, blurry thing is really weird, and it never comes up again. And there's a reason for that. The special effects technician Ken Busick. Uh, he said uh, that the, the, the costume for the drop just wasn't convincing enough. 
And uh, so they tried many ways to make them look creepy and imposing. So they had the actor do these weird sort of strange movements um, that are just so bizarre. Uh, and then they, they added the sort of out of phase thing. Um, and it, I guess it makes them look imposing. I honestly think it looks a bit cheesy, but whatever. Um, like fair enough that the costume didn't look fine or good. Um, they, they later make improvements to the Drac costume because obviously the Drocs are, you know, not just a one time thing. They're going to be showing up later and the out of phase thing and the weird movements never come up again. Um, it was just sort of an improvised thing to make them look more imposing because the costume was cheap, which is like, whatever, just own it at that point, play it straight. Um... You know, th this was never a particularly high-budget show to begin with, you know. Um, but I like how the Drock, you know, are the children of the shadows, you know, the servants of the shadows. Um, and they've learned how to manipulate and divide people to get people to rely and depend on them. But they're significantly less subtle than the shadows. Uh, it's clear that they are the remnants of of this, you know, time in galactic history. And, you know, the, the people that they depended on are now gone, and so now they're lashing out. Uh, and they've taken advantage of the Membari and the League of uh, Non-Aligned World situations of they're divided, so let's, uh, let's do that, you know, let's take advantage of that, especially the Membari. The warrior cast have set up their own great council and have slowly pushed out all the other casts even in their own homeworld their own cities they're pushing them out and as, as discussed you know Mimbari do not kill Mimbari they do not raise weapons against each other but that doesn't mean that there's not other ways to kill people you know they they, they sent you know the, the worker and religious cast people out in this particular city out into the cold uh you know away from food supplies and stuff and let the extreme conditions kill them it's killing indirectly you know um sure uh they didn't raise arms against their brethren they didn't actively kill them but they manufactured the situation that was going to lead to their death that is a very Membari thing. They're all about the tradition, but they're all about will they're they're all willing to twist that tradition to suit their own needs. And that's what we have right here. Um and and we see that the Membari are just completely and utterly divided at this point. What Dalin did, uh dissolving the Great Council uh, in order to uh, fight in the Shadow War and uh, get the workers and religious on her side, just further divided the already increasing uh, chasm between the warrior caste and everyone else. Uh, and this divide has, you know, gotten so bad that it's led to the indirect death of a lot of people. And it's going to lead to the Civil War, you know, as I said, it's like the time before Valen at this point. And that's why Dylan has to go and deal with this situation, he has to go back to Membar and solve this situation before it gets out of control. Um, and, you know, this just leads to a feeling of, this is the mess. 
This is the mess of after the Shadow War, and it's their responsibility to clean it up. Uh, but this is a really, really solid episode, uh, continuing a lot of the plot lines, um, and uh, introducing the Drock, who are going to become important later, um, and uh, introduce the idea of the Voice of Resistance, which is going to be important later, and sort of co continues the lines of everything and talks about some really interesting topics uh, that do with extremism. Um, and, uh, and creating tribal mentality, us versus them, and radicalization, and, you know, uh, forming a narrative. All of this, you know, is going to be picked up upon in future episodes, uh, in one in particular, um, that is going to be interesting to talk about. But until then, see you next time. Bye. <laughs>